Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to be hearing about a very popular topic in Northeast Pennsylvania, stormwater. We'll have that from Intercom's Frank Andrews coming up. We'll also be finding out why it's still a good idea for you to get a flu shot. And we begin our program today meeting Dina Newberry, the Special Education Supervisor, and Karina Baldacci, Clinical Director of New Story in Troop. They're going to tell us about the school as well as an autism support symposium that's coming up later this month. Dina and Karina with us today, and I'm going to start with Karina. New story, and it's a school, mm-hmm. but first, tell me who you are and what is your role there. My name is Karina Baldacci, and I'm the clinical director at New Story School and Troop. Okay. Now, Dina, you're also at New Story School and in, in Troop. Introduce yourself. My name is Dina Newberry, and I'm the special education supervisor in Troop. Okay, so I'm getting the feeling now that New Story is a school that is a little bit maybe different than going to a public school or something. Karina, explain it to me. New Story School is a private licensed academic school, and we provide special education and behavioral health services to children from ages 5 to 21 who have been diagnosed with autism and other emotional or behavioral disorders. Okay, so if... I guess the big question there is, how long have you been in Troop? Because do you have other locations throughout the area? Dina? Yes, Troop is one of 15 New Story schools and services located in the state of Pennsylvania. We provide education, therapy, counseling, related services, and transition training for students with the hope of returning them to their home district. We provide services amongst many counties. Um, New Story School in Troop provides services um, for Lackawanna County, Monroe County, Pike County, Susquehanna County. So if someone is hearing this now, what would you tell someone who just gives you a call on the phone and says, I'd like to get some more information about your school? How about how does someone get into it? What kind of uh, services do you offer? Maybe a little bit more of the specifics of that, because I think a lot of people may not know where New Story came from. And you said that you're also in different locations throughout. So who's going to take us in the front door? How do we start about getting a referral? The students that we provide services for are students that are struggling in their own home school district, um, whether it's a public school system or their NEIU. The classroom that they may be in at this time is just not an appropriate fit, whether their behaviors are impeding their learning or there's too many students in the classroom. Whatever the situation may be, um, their home school district will refer them to New Story. So when they get to New Story then, 
Are they doing reading, writing, arithmetic? Are they doing all the same kind of things that they would do if they were in their home school? Yes, we provide full academic and behavioral services. Um, Like I said, we also have occupational therapy, speech therapy, counseling, and behavioral consultants available within the school um, at all times. There must be a lot of parents out there who have not heard of something like this. If they're referred, as you said, Karina, from their home district, then is there a cost to them or... How would they go about, uh, you know, is is that part of the district? And uh, would they have to be transported every day? Is Is it a type of school where someone can stay there? The school district does provide transportation as well as funding the cost of the tuition for the student to attend. Um, Their home district will still be where they are located, but we provide the services academically for them. Um, If a family or school is interested in in sending their child to our school, we set up with a tour, walk them around the building, show them all of our services that we have to offer, as well as the new technology that we have in our building. And if the family and school still think that it's appropriate fit, we go ahead with an enrollment meeting and solidify all of the plans. So if I was a school administrator or if I was a parent and I was coming to the, the school and you were going to give me the tour, what exactly would we be seeing then when we come into, would we see classrooms? Would we see more smaller cubicles? Uh, Dina, kind of give me a, a, a walkthrough of what we're seeing at New Story. We do have both emotional support and autistic support classrooms. We also have two sensory-friendly rooms that the students go to if they need some sensory input. We just recently had brand new smart boards installed in many of the classrooms. Uh, We also have a full cafeteria, a very large gym, and a playground outside. Wow, that's a lot. See, I guess when people think, well, I'm going to take my child out of my district and I'm going to take them to a place such as New Story School and Troop, I'm going to maybe put more of an emphasis on the problems they're having, but it kind of doesn't sound like that to me that you're going to be then focusing on those. It's almost like you're going to be taking that problem and or concern that the parents may have and working that into Am I am I kind of am I kind of getting it right, mm-hmm. Karina? Yep, all of our classrooms are heavily modified to the students that are within. So some of the classrooms you may see beanbags as their desks. You may see normal desks. You may see group desks. We modify the curriculum as well as their behavior plan specifically to the students so that they can be successful in what they have to offer individually. And our ultimate goal is to get them back to their regular school district. Oh, okay. Then that's something that they're they're, and I guess it must be kind of tough when you're dealing with younger kids. Is it because you've got kids that are, what what ages did you say you start with? We provide services for K to 12. Oh, K to 12. So when you're in kindergarten, everything's brand new. So that must be a, a, really a challenge for you as educators because of the fact that you're also dealing with, it might be her, her his or her first time away from home and you know, how, how do you deal with that? Well, what is unique about News Story is that we have many resources. We have a great team um, of workers there. And 
there's not just one teacher in the classroom. We have a certified teacher. We have anywhere between one to four ABSS, which is our academic and behavioral support staff members. We also have crisis workers. We have counselors. We have behavior consultants and analysts. All of us work as a really good team, so we're never alone. The students have many resources and outlets to use. Can they graduate from New Story? Absolutely. We actually have 10 graduates this year from New Story. Awesome. And how long have they been with you? Do you have any idea? Because I would think that in this situation, some students may come and go. Have you had any that have been consistently with you, maybe not from kindergarten, but... There are some students that have, that have been with us for a long time. One of the particular graduating students, I think it's been at least 10 years. And then when a student does get to that point, it must be such it must be such a wonderful feeling to be able to say, you know, I'm, you're, you've graduated. This is wonderful. Dina? Yes, we do provide a big graduation ceremony um, at the end of May, and it's um, great for the parents to get to come in and the students walk down and they receive their diploma. That is wonderful. Now, once a child graduates then, do you have any kind of services that will continue afterward, or, or are, are they already prepared once, or do you feel that they're already prepared to be able to go on? We are currently paired with um, OVR, the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. They currently come to our school twice a week and work with the students to prepare them for transitioning after our services. That's wonderful. When we're talking about um, being involved in this, you both have talked about all of the different uh, support staff that you have within a new story school. When someone is getting involved in something like that, um, it must be a very, I, I don't want to say difficult, because again, you're dealing with kids and you see kindergarten kids going to school and they play. And, and uh, do you have all of the same kind of interactions where you have um the things that, that typical kids would do every day, because it, all, it it does sound like you're really integrating these kids just like everyone else when they're when they're going to school. All of our staff would definitely say that the job every day is very challenging. However, it is even more rewarding. And that must come to fruition then when you have something like this graduation. Absolutely. How long have you been with New Story School? I have been with New Story School for about seven school years now. I've been with New Story for 13 years. And I like the idea of the school years as as well. So, Dina, then I'm going to bring you back up here. And what made you get involved in something, in, in doing something like this? Um, I, again, as Karina said, it is challenging yet rewarding. Right. I do. I do love my job. I did start out as a therapeutic staff support 13 years ago, and then I switched to a special education teacher. And then I recently took the position of special education supervisor. That is uh, that, that that's a lot. It's a lot on your plate. And when you're um, so new story has been here 13 years, um, new story in troop has been here since 2010. But we do have a uh, a building close in Wyoming, and that's where I was before. Troop. Oh, oh, okay. So the troop location is probably the newest then. Yes, we are. All right. And you also have an opportunity for people. You do have something coming up that if anybody would like to come and visit the campus, visit the school, is that where it's going to be? 
we have a Spotlight Speaker Series event, which is free for all families to attend. It is located at our New Story Troop location, and that address is 751 Keystone Industrial Park Road in Troop, PA. Um, we are holding an autism symposium with the community member Dolphus Tart as part of our speaker series. Is this something that anybody can visit, can go to? This child-friendly event, which is free for parents and caregivers of individuals with special needs in the community, will include movies, games, and snacks. And the main feature of the event will be an inspirational speech from Dolphus. Nice. If somebody would like to find out more information about either the event that's coming up or New Story School in general, how would they go about doing that? They can check out our Facebook page, which is New Story Schools. We also have a website, newstoryschool.com, and it features all of our different locations. You also are able to RSVP to Janine Morrissey, and her email is J-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-E-Y at salisburymgt.com, or you can call her at 570-609-0626 at extension 7064. Anything that we've left out that you think that maybe we should mention? The date of the event is going to be Saturday, January 26th from 2 to 4 p.m. Okay. And again, probably a good idea to just give you a call, let you let everybody know that you're going to be coming. We're going to have to have you come back and tell us some more about New Story School in Troop and especially at graduation time. We'd love to see all the pictures. Thank you. Thanks again to Dina Newberry, Special Education Supervisor, and Karina Baldacci, Clinical Director at New Story in Troop, a private licensed academic school that provides special education and behavioral health services to children from ages 5 through 21. And a reminder, they will have a Spotlight Speaker Series Autism Symposium coming to the school at 751 Keystone Industrial Park Road in Troop on January 26th from 2 until 4. It will feature guest speaker Dolphus Tart. If you'd like information, you can give them a call at 570-609-0626. Coming up next, why you still need a flu shot on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Flu activity has been high in all state regions, with highest activity being reported in the Northeast and Southeast regions. That's according to the Pennsylvania Department of Health website on their Influenza Report Summary. So far this season, a total of over 9,000 confirmed influenza cases have been reported this season to date, and there have also been 10 flu-associated deaths reported so far. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant and assistant medical director at the MedExpress in Pittsburgh. She joins us here on Special Edition to tell us about the flu vaccine and why it's not too late to get one. Dawn, we're going to talk about the flu vaccine. Now, numbers were out. There have apparently been some deaths across the Commonwealth due to the flu as well. So what about the flu shot? It's We're into January. Is it too late? No, no, it's absolutely not too late. So we do recommend that people get it early in the flu season, September, October. But that being said, we never know when it's actually going to hit. So if it doesn't hit until March, 
now is actually the best time to get it. So absolutely not too late. Well, isn't it, isn't what we always hear though is that you have to get the flu before the or the flu shot before the flu season hits so that you have time to build up the immunity? How would that work then? Well, it, it takes about two weeks to build up the immunity. So it's absolutely not too late. I have to say, I don't think flu season has hit peak yet. So it's actually a good time to get the flu shot right now. And then what about the idea of so many different types of strains of flu that are going on? You get a flu shot, but does that take care of blanket everything? No, not everything. So every year, the flu manufacturers do their best to predict what flu strains are going to be going around. So each year, the flu shot you get has multiple strains in it. Sometimes it's a good match, sometimes it's not. But the thing is, even when it's not a good match and you still get the flu after getting the flu shot, your body has built up antibodies, and you don't get as sick as those that didn't get the flu shot. Let's talk a little bit about the flu shot itself. As you said, manufacturers try to do the best they can in order to kind of take care of much as of much as they can with one shot. So what goes into it? And we also hear a lot of people saying, well, Number one, I won't get the flu shot because as soon as I do, I get the flu. And number two, I won't get the flu shot because it has to do with eggs. Let's take that one first. What is a flu shot made up of? So the flu shot is made up of not live viruses, which is why it cannot cause you to get the flu. So the viruses that are in the flu shot, they are all inactivated. They are not live I don't know if you remember a few years back when they used to do the nasal flu vaccine where it was a nasal mist that went in your nose. That was a live virus, and that actually could cause you to get a very mild form of the flu. They don't have that anymore. So the shot that you get does not have any live viruses in it. Now, the egg that you're talking about, so they, they use a protein in the flu shot to help preserve it, which makes it stable um, to keep, you know, for a couple months while people are getting it. And the protein they use, um, it is an um, egg-based protein. So what happens is if you are allergic to eggs and you get the flu shot, it could essentially elicit that same allergic reaction. Oh, so how how would you know then? Um, and I guess if that was the case, then what do you do if you say, well, maybe I'm sh- not sure if I'm allergic to eggs. Maybe sometimes I've had a reaction, but I've never been officially told one way or the other. So then what do you do? In that case, I would not get the flu shot that has that egg-based protein in it. So if if you do think you're allergic to eggs, um, you can talk to the pharmacy. They do have vaccines that aren't preserved that way. So there are other options. It's just a very common one. Now, you bring up another point right there because a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot of people, maybe that's a generalization, but some people will say, well, I see that there are a lot of these flu shot clinics that are happening throughout the Commonwealth. I see that there are pharmacies and nothing against them, but I see that these things are happening there, but I'm only going to trust this if it comes from my doctor's office. Is that necessarily a concern? Um, It shouldn't be, to be honest. As long as someone's giving you a flu shot, they have got to be trained in how to do so. So the pharmacists that give the flu shots, they go through training. They understand 
you know, what kind of reactions to look for, the anatomy, where to put it. So people that give the flu shot, they are trained. So, well, it, it is a good place to go, your family doctor, to get the flu shot. It, it's not the only place. When we're talking about, again, getting the flu shot, and um, a lot of people, again, I'm using that generalization because I hear it so much from people since it's a, it is a big topic because people are saying, again, that it's the numbers have come out recently, that there have been so many cases, there have been so many deaths, but I hear people say, I won't get a flu shot because, boy, does that leave a pain in my arm for days. So, I mean, that is one of the the potential side effects, um, soreness, um, redness at the site, but it's rare. It it really doesn't happen that often. And I have to say that the tetanus vaccine leaves you much, much more sore than the flu shot does. And that's probably something. That's probably something we should also think about getting at some point in time too. We'll have you back to talk about tetanus. (laughs) Well, we're we're talking about the flu now again. There are so many things, and you go to work, you go out in the public, you go anywhere. People are coughing, sneezing, sniffling. Um, Oh, it's just a sinus infection. Oh, it's just the change in the weather. It's so. How do you know what you have before you can even start to say maybe I should do something about it? So it's tough. I mean, it's even tough for doctors and advanced practitioners to diagnose people, um, you know, based on their symptoms and how long they've had them. Um, really, uh, you know, the only way to know for sure is really to get seen by a healthcare professional and, you know, get a true diagnosis. A lot of people will also say that, well, it's that time of the year and I always get a bronchitis or I always get a sinus infection. Is that necessarily something that is, I don't want to say is true, because we don't know how people feel, and you don't know how people are every year, but can you pretty much anticipate if that's been something? Because I know when, when we had kids in school, we could always predict when about the third week of school would arrive because that was the first sign of, oh, I don't feel well and I'm going back after the summer. And so do things like that become cyclical? Yes. Well, it's multifactorial. So, sure. Um, it, I mean, it is proven that certain viruses peak during certain times of the year. So fall and winter is typically when the flu peaks. Um um, in the spring, we see other things. So, yes, I mean, it is common for certain viruses such as, you know, hand, foot, mouth, or strep throat. You know, those can peak during certain times of the year. But um, when someone says they get a sinus infection at this time every year or they get bronchitis at this time every year, that could actually be something like allergies. You know, if people have um, allergies to, to dust and in you know, the indoor triggers, then they're going to get that during this time of year when they're inside. And um, if they have allergies to things like ragweed and pollen, they're going to, you know, feel like they have they may have a sinus infection or bronchitis in the spring when, you know, they're being um, exposed to those triggers. So, you know, really it all depends. But yes, some people can feel that they get certain symptoms at the same time every year, and it may not be viral or you know, a cold related, it could be something like allergies. 
Ah, and then that's a whole other issue that we'll have to have you back again as well to yes. talk about. So when we're talking about the flu, true or false, colds don't come with a fever, flu comes with a fever. Not necessarily true. It can be true, but it's not always true. So the flu does typically always have the fever. Colds can. Some colds do, some don't. Um, You know, it all depends on the virus that's causing it. So I would say the true statement is the flu always presents with a fever. But you shouldn't just assume that you have the fever, that you have the flu from the fever. You could have it from... Many other From things. A is, cold virus. So, yes. so then you go to the doctor's office, and what do they do in order to diagnose that? Okay, you have the flu. So there's a rapid flu swab, and it is a nasal swab. So it is like a very long skinny Q-tip that they put in your nose and wiggle it around and make you feel like you're going to sneeze. And they test that, and they test that for the two. Um, the two strands of flu that we see the most, flu A and flu B. And it's a rapid test, so we get the results within 15 minutes. And that right there um, can diagnose. It's about 70% accurate. Oh, boy. So you are then sent home with a something? Yes. So the anti-flu medicine that we're using a lot this year is Tamiflu. And um, it's a pill that you take, just like an antibiotic would be. And what it does is it helps shorten the duration and the severity of your flu symptoms. Can you get the flu twice in one season? Sure, absolutely, because there's multiple strains going around. Oh, so just because the word flu can actually mean a lot of different things because it doesn't have a certain distinction with it, so there could be more than one. All right, Don. well... Hopefully, we're going to ward it off, but if the number one thing is get the flu shot, so what are some of the other things that we can do to ward off maybe not only the flu, but also those illnesses that have a tendency to creep in during these winter months? Yes, absolutely. So I always stress hand washing. Wash your hands as much as you possibly can. Um, If you blow your nose, cough, wash your hands. Before you eat, wash your hands. Um, If you don't have access to the water, keep um, sanitizer in your purse in case you're in the mall or, you know, in a store, in the grocery store. The other thing that is um, good to do is to take a multivitamin, um, extra vitamin C. That can keep your immune system um, healthy and strong. Also, get plenty of exercise. If you get plenty of exercise and you eat a well-balanced diet, those are also things that can help. All right. We'll keep our fingers crossed and keep our flu shots up to date. Yes, that's a great idea. Thanks again to Dawn Webster, Physician's Assistant and Assistant Medical Director of MedExpress in Pittsburgh, for joining us and giving us details about the flu vaccine. You can get more information at health.pa.gov or by contacting your local physician. Coming up next, a talk about the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority and the stormwater fee. Don't go away. Now on Special Edition, Intercom's Frank Andrews takes on the stormwater fees. 
We have some folks on from the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority who have been very willing to come on and answer some questions. We have Jeff Colella, who is, uh, Jeff, you are the Stormwater Division Manager, is that correct? That's correct, Frank. And Sandy Barashevitz, uh, Finance, and Donna Ellis, who we drive crazy because she's public relations. How are you all doing? Good, Frank. Okay. Good, Frank. Let me, let me just ask this basic question. Other than people who have been calling and emailing saying we don't like the fee, what, what kind of inquiries, what kind of questions have you been getting? Well, Frank, we've been getting a lot of questions about um, just the fee in general. Uh, what we're going to be doing with the money is a, is a popular question. What is this, what is this going to go for? Um, you know, some questions on to the impervious area on their, the properties. Um, I'd say those are the major questions that we're getting right now. Okay, that first question, which, you know, we get the question as well. What are you going to be doing with the money? Just, you know, answer that for people. Yeah, let, let me just give you the quick, it's very detailed, but I'll just give you the quick overview. Um, the first thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be building what they call BMPs, Best Management Practices, also known as Green Infrastructure Projects. So we have to build 65 green infrastructure projects throughout the 32 towns that we service. So that's, that's part of the money. Another part of the money will be going towards stormwater mapping. That is going to cost between 4 and $6 million. Um, all these storm manholes, storm drains, outfalls to creeks and rivers have to be uh, electronically mapped. So that's another item that it's going towards. Also, the, I'll just finish up quick. Each town will have a stormwater savings account where part of the fee goes back to the town for infrastructure uh, repairs. So each town, depending on how many uh, fee payers there are, gets a percentage of this fee back to them to help pay for infrastructure repair. Now, let, let me ask this. Do we have any idea how much this fee will generate per year? Frank, this is going to generate about $8 million per year. $8 million per year. Now, how do you map? You, you said you're going to do the mapping of the, 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 um, the different, what did you say, like the manhole covers and all that? How are you going to do that? So what we do is we do two things. We send out a team ahead of, the, of our GIS people, our geographic information systems people. And what happens is they will go and take measurements, take an assessment of, let's say, a storm drain. Then they will take a GPS, a high-end GPS, and they will mark where the storm drain is. And this will all be put into a, a system called ARC GIS, which you know, tracks all of these manholes, outlets, all, all of these stormwater assets. Okay. You know, you guys have probably been just swamped beyond measure with phone calls and emails because we're getting them too. This may be a simple question, but it's, it's one that people are asking. Who told the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority that you have to implement this fee? Who's, who's ultimately the voice that said you must do this? Frank, it's not that we must do this. Uh, the towns could have gone on their own. However, we did a very lengthy study that over the long term, the tax increase would be between 50 and 75% more for each municipality if we did not go with this route. So this was going to be done, Frank, either through taxes or through a fee. And studies have shown that the fee is the more equitable and cheaper way to go over the long term. Right. I, and I understand that because you guys represent, what, 32 municipalities? 32 municipalities, correct. So, you know, something we do in Exeter Borough counts for all 32 towns 
you know, so we can pick and choose the best places to do things, the cheapest places to do things, um, versus if the town had to do them themselves. What, what I'm really fishing for here, Jeff and, and, and Sandy and Donna, is this. Pe- people, you know, we had a call this morning and someone said, Maryland repealed their law. They don't have to pay it. So why don't we do that in Pennsylvania? You know, and, and you know, screaming about how we get rid of this tax. And so I'm, I'm thinking... It's not something that you guys sat around a conference room and said, hey, let's come up with a stormwater fee. It's something somewhere was mandated that we have to implement this, either either 32 municipalities individually or you guys working for the 32. So where did that ultimate call come from? Right, Frank. So every town since 2003 has been under what they call an MS4 permit. So once you're under a permit, you have to do certain things that are called for or spelled out in the permit. So that is really, that comes from the DEP, which actually comes from the EPA. So the EPA tells Pennsylvania that they have to issue these permits, and DEP has agreed to be the administrator of the permits. But that's how, the, you know, this has come down to these towns. And, and I understand that, in fact, we, uh, we started looking at those MS4 permits for the towns. But can you, can you also answer the question, because people are saying, well, wait a minute, why am I getting a bill from you, and why am I getting a bill from my local sewer authority? And I believe uh, when Jim talked last week, he said some of that is just coincidence, right? That's correct. So... Frank, so what we do at the authority is we're a little different than most sewer authorities. We don't own the town sewer systems. We only own the pump stations and the sewer processing plant. The towns own the sewer systems. So the maintenance fee, which we bill for the towns, goes to the towns. WVSA does not collect that money. That money is billed by WVSA on behalf of each town that has a, a fee, uh, a maintenance fee for their systems. Okay. Now, we, we here's some of the calls we've been getting, and, and I'm sure ours are just a small percentage of, of, of what's out there. People are saying that when the aerial photography was done to, uh, to determine the impervious areas, people are saying, well, they, they must be making a mistake because this is a township road or alley, and it looks like my driveway, and people want their properties inspected. Are you getting inundated with that as well? We are, we are getting quite a few calls about that, and one, and one thing I want to reiterate, and I think it's been a little bit of misunderstood or misinformation, that in those cases, we have something called a review. The review you can get for free. So if you think that's the case, that your property has been, the property lines aren't correct, or there's something wrong, you can apply for a review. It's page 28 and 26 on the WVSA rules and regulations, and you can apply for a review of your property, and it's absolutely free. Okay, and how long does it take, and what is involved in the review? Do you have an engineer that goes out? It depends on what your question is. So some things are obvious where we can see that there's an issue, and we can correct it from the office. There's other areas where we have to send somebody out and make an, you know, if people want to make an appointment and they like to be there while we're there, we're happy to do that. You know, obviously people are working, you know, we would notify them. Our rule is within 90 days of the review being uh, put in for. 
Right, and and I know Jim said he would even like to see it done faster than that, but I, I realize that's a matter of of, uh, of your staffing. Sure. But 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 here's my question now, and people are are saying, is there a time limit on getting the review because they can't get through on the phone, they're not getting an answer, and they're worried that they're going to miss some magical moment that they've you know passed the review deadline. Sure, there is a look back of nine months, so if anything is wrong. We will correct it, and we will go back to the beginning of January when the bill went out, and we will credit your account if you had already paid. And there's an, if there's a credit to go on your account, so let's say you were a Tier 3 customer paying $14 a month, and you were supposed to be paying 480 a month, we would credit you the difference in our billing system for the first nine months. So as long as you get that review within the next nine months, if something is wrong, we will correct it and credit your account. Right, but there's no time limit on when you must ask for the review. No, you can ask for a review two years from now if you'd like. Okay. But, but you can ask whenever you would like a review. Where it's there for the public to uh, have their properties reviewed. I, w- I want to ask you especially, Jeff, to talk about this because you're the stormwater division manager. Mm-hmm. People, people are saying, hey, you want us to clean up the river. Who's watching New York? And there was a story in the Times Leader today about that plant dumping 35 million gallons of untreated waste into the river. Right. Like, how, how do we deal with that? Well, first of all, that's that's a obviously a New York State issue. They, that plant has permits that are federal, uh, federally regulated, and I wouldn't be surprised to see if they had be getting fines for that. The point is that at some point, this is going to be statewide, right? Right now, certain towns only have are, are given this permit, but... Going forward, it's most likely, and I don't you know, speak for DEP or EPA, but I could see it expanding to more and more towns. And as for the storm fee, right now there's 19 storm authorities in Pennsylvania that you're going to see that expand in the next two or three years. Okay. Um, what, what is our relationship with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation? They're really the leader of this, this movement of the MS4 permits to um, Pennsylvania, Maryland, New York, Virginia, West Virginia, Delaware, all those states have MS4 permits that must follow uh, recommendations that the Chesapeake Bay worked with the EPA to enforce. Okay, well, there you go. There's there's one of the big voices that we got to talk to, which we are. Okay, last question. To get in touch with Wyoming Valley Sanitary, what's the best numbers? What's the best email? What's the best website? Okay, you, you can go to our website, uh, wvsa.org, and you can send us an email. Stormwater management. Under the stormwater management tab, uh, the business office, Sandy knows that number. Uh, the number, Frank, is 570-820-9872. Common question is, why is this the first time that we're hearing about this? We received the, uh, the notice in the mail. First and foremost, we want to say that we have been out there for a year and a half now, promoting this program, trying to give advance notice. We've been at uh, numerous events, um, everywhere from active senior centers to River Fest to Chalk Fest to press conferences to several municipal council meetings. And so, but what that has taught us also is that we need to maybe change our focus a little bit because part of these, what they call minimum control measures, 
as mandated by DEP is public involvement and participation and public education and outreach. So it's not just, you know, charging the fees and completing projects and make sure we're meeting those mandates, but we also have to have the public on board with this. So in a sense, we're going to reevaluate what we've done you know, over the past year and a half um, to make sure that people are kept up to date and that we engage them in everything that we're doing going forward. So we're making some, some changes um, as far as that's concerned as well. Well, I appreciate the information and I appreciate you letting me bug in. I'm glad we got the information out. Now, Harry Campbell, who is the director of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation in Pennsylvania. Harry, thanks for the quick response. So this, so the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority sent out the bills for a stormwater fee and everybody kind of said, stormwater fee? What's that? And why do, why do we have to pay it? And now in, in, in some of the conversations, the suggestion is that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation put the pressure on the EPA to put the pressure on DEP to get this kind of implemented statewide. Is that fair to say? So we've been advocating for clean and healthy waters across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and all the rivers and streams that flow into the Chesapeake Bay and its watershed. Because first and foremost, those investments in clean water have their benefit to Pennsylvanians, our communities, our farmers, and our families. And addressing the issue of urban and suburban stormwater runoff is a critical component of that. The stormwater fees that are being instituted by the uh, by the Wyoming Valley Sewer Authority as a pursuant to a permit requirement that is a federal requirement uh, across all communities throughout the United States is an endeavor to improve the health and condition of our rivers and streams in the Chesapeake Bay. We were not instrumental or otherwise behind that permit requirement, but we're supportive of sound, sufficient, and sustainable, and ultimately cost-effective stormwater abatement and management because it's so critical to our communities and to our overall health and condition of our waters. Right. Now, uh, you know, one of the one of the questions, and it's also on your frequently asked questions page, is wasn't I paying for this already through my tax dollars? Why am I paying it again? Yeah. So, you know, rain is free, uh, but managing it can be pretty expensive. And the underground infrastructure that we have in Pennsylvania throughout the nation is old and ill-maintained and in many cases dilapidated. We just kind of forgot about it. We did not build as a society into the system sufficient resources to pay for its maintenance and upgrade. Hey, we pay for our house to maintain that. We pay to maintain our cars. We may even pay to maintain our health, but we have not maintained our underground water and sewer infrastructure sufficient enough to handle not only the new developments and the redevelopments, but also just the overall dilapidation that occurs over the course of time. There are pipes in the state of Pennsylvania that are wooden because they're so old, that are conveying stormwater, and in some cases sewage, to the nearest receiving water body, like Solomon Creek up in Wilkes-Barre area, or the Susquehanna River. For uh, a nation of this, uh, of ourselves, that shouldn't be acceptable, and it certainly doesn't support not only human health and public welfare, but also an economy that we need for the 21st century. I know, Harry, when I, when I called your office today, uh, one of the comments was made, well, we're, we're, we're going over the 2018 State of the Bay report, which I've been looking at. The overall score is a D plus. And then on your Pennsylvania site, it talks about the Susquehanna River as ailing. What, what is the, the water situation right now? Well, really, the Susquehanna River is the largest tributary to the Chesapeake Bay. On average, there are 18 million gallons per minute 
that are coming from the Susquehanna River into the Chesapeake Bay. So it's the largest source of fresh water. And unfortunately, it also happens to be the largest source of pollution entering into the Chesapeake Bay. And the rivers and streams that feed into the Susquehanna River are ailing. Uh, we have over 19,000 miles of streams that are considered impaired or not meeting water quality standards. By the state of Pennsylvania, DEP scientific studies, the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection through scientific studies has determined that value. Um, there are over 3,000 miles of Pennsylvania's rivers and streams that don't meet those water quality standards because of poor or inadequate stormwater management. Many uh, are right there in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton area as well. And so these rivers and streams ultimately feed many of them into the, the Susquehanna River and flow down to the Chesapeake Bay where they have an impact. So it really starts in our own backyard with the rivers and streams in our own communities and the health and condition of them that reflect back to us in the health and condition of the Chesapeake Bay and the Susquehanna River. Of course, we, we pointed out there's a story in a local Times Leader newspaper today about a New York plant in Binghamton that dumped 35 million uh, uh, gallons of untreated sewage into the Susquehanna River, and people are saying, well, wait a minute. If you're asking us to take care of, t of our, our responsibility down here, we're now taking care of the pollution that's coming from upstate. Who's managing all that? So that's an absolute per, uh, excellent point, and that's a responsibility of not only um, New York, but the United States Environmental Protection Agency to say, you know what, that is not allowed under the Federal Clean Water Act. And as a result, there needs to be not only potentially fines, but certainly uh, mitigation so as to make sure that doesn't happen again. But the simple fact of that is that we also have problems in our own backyard. As I mentioned earlier, we have over 3,000 miles of stormwater impaired streams in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania leads the nation in the amount of combined sewer overflows that when it rains, our systems get overloaded with runoff and, and, and sewage to the degree to which we have over 1,400 places where pipes discharge raw or minimally treated sewage into rivers and streams. There are roughly 50 right there in the Wyoming Valley Sewer Authority area today. Wow. Now, so we all bear responsibility, and improving and maintaining our infrastructure is part of that responsibility. Now, you know, I don't think that we would find many people that would that would disagree that that you know a clean clean water system, clean river is 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 something that we want to strive for. I think everybody wants to be environmentally conscious. There, people people are kind of offended by another tax, saying, "Wait a minute, you know, so I've already paid through the nose. Why am I paying again?" Maryland had had a. Uh, a a law, and then I believe the governor campaigned on getting rid of the rain tax. What's the status in Maryland now? Yeah, so that that has evolved some. Uh, there are there we had a broad brush county-based, big, large-scale uh, stormwater uh, fee that politically became a hot potato and has resulted in a different approach down there. And so while many of these counties, so they deal with this issue on a county scale, some of those uh, communities and governments at that county scale still have these fees, but the structure is different than it was originally intended uh, through the actions of the legislature 
and Governor Hogan. Um, and so because we have a local or a much more uh, small scale, if you will, local governmental approach, um, you're seeing these sort of authorities and fees uh, being proposed throughout all of Pennsylvania. We have over 300 MS4s or areas that have these types of stormwater permits just in the Bay Watershed of Pennsylvania alone. Uh, but the bottom line is these types of activities need to be, if, if you're looking at a fee for stormwater, they need to be stable, they need to be adequate, they need to be flexible, and they need to be equitable. And finally, they need to be communicated in a way in which people in the communities that are being affected, because as you mentioned, this is just another tax. It's another fee. I've got to pay again. It's going to this new government bureaucracy. What the heck, right? I understand it. I pay for it. I'm a Pennsylvanian. I grew up in the back mountain. Wow. Just outside of Dallas. Welcome home. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really only left for a little while. I've been in Pennsylvania here for 15 years working uh, for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. But the bottom line, and so I pay these fees. I pay all these sort of uh, taxes and fees and things of that nature to support our clean water, healthy air in our communities. But if, if they need to be communicated in a way in which people understand the value that they are getting in that investment. And in, in addition to that, to credit good actions happening on the ground that people do voluntarily. Planting trees alongside streams, for in, or streets and streams, for instance, is one of the most cost-effective things you could do to reduce the stormwater runoff. So the, any sort of fee authority should have the credit for that, should invest in that, should, should promote that so as to reduce the burden of individual taxpayers and residences and commercial developments, um, which I know that they're considering or have considered as part of that overall fee. But bottom line is... Uh, really need to be communicating about why this is necessary, why it's equitable and appropriate, why it actually helps create jobs and invests in our communities through revitalization and our quality of life. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.